What is up, everybody? This is Hunter Williams. Today is going to be episode 72 of the NeuroEdge podcast. The name of today's episode is Mind Over Matter, 10 Shocking Examples. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I know your time is your most valuable asset, and if you are giving that to me today to learn and make yourself better, thank you so much for tuning in. I promise I will not disappoint. What I wanted to talk about today is this idea of mind over matter. And this is something, especially being an athlete for very much of my life, that I have always known was there and have always tried to tap into, but recently have been doing much more actual research into it, reading different things, watching different podcast videos and that kind of stuff, especially a different, uh, bunch of different books I've been reading. And one thing I am fascinated about, and obviously this is called the NeuroEdge podcast, is how we can actually use our mind to change our surroundings and actually do this at a physiological root level that makes a difference and can be measured by different scientific methods. Not always so much depending on where we are with science right now, but there are so many different things that our mind is in control of that we don't think and a lot of times I think take for granted. So what I want to do today is just give some cold, hard evidence or facts of different examples of how our mind can actually be used to supersede whatever situation we're in and to make things better around us or change our physiological state and our environment around us simply through using the power of our mind. And I'm fascinated by this idea because there's our brain and then there's our mind. So we have our brain obviously that has all these electrical synapses and signals going through all day. And then we actually have our mind, which is our ability to have consciousness, have thoughts, have all these different things, have ideas. And there's a, I think the best word would be a synchronicity between the two where they work in tandem together. But what is even cooler than that is our ability to actually control our mind in order to achieve certain desired outcomes that we may have or just change things around us at a subconscious level. So anyway, before I jump into the examples, I just wanted to say again, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this type of content, don't forget to head over to the free Facebook group. I'm really working on growing that right now and creating a micro community of people that enjoy talk talking about these topics, enjoy improving themselves, and enjoy just really learning about the world and discovering things about the world and themselves to make their health better, to make their life better, and just improve everything around them and help everybody around them become better. So that is my mission, and if you resonate with that or you know other people that resonate with that, come on over to the group. There's going to be some cool stuff inside that you don't necessarily get to hear on the podcast that I do all the time. So anyway, let's get into it. So what I want to do, again, I talked a little bit about Mind Over Matter. I want to go ahead and jump into some of these examples just because they're a little bit longer, and I've got 10. So... Number one is drying sheets. And when I was researching this, I was like, drying sheets, what does that have to do with mind over matter? But listen to this story. So Tibetan monks obviously noted for their ability to meditate, to be in control of their surroundings. And I think what is cool now is we're doing a lot of scientific studies on these monks because for thousands of years they have been in Tibet up in the mountains where they do all this meditation stuff and it kind of turns into this mythical folklore about what they do. But this was one really cool example with drying actual sheets. So in this study, and I want to make sure I took some notes, so I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, Tibetan monks have been shown to 
have obviously better control over their minds than many average people and actually can control physiological processes with themselves such as blood pressure and body temperature. Um, in this study, there is a meditative yoga technique called, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but G2MO. And during this process, what they did is they cloaked the monks in wet, cold sheets. So imagine being in a wet, cold sheet and place them in a room that was 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So not freezing, but almost freezing. So imagine if you were placed in a wet, cold sheet that had been doused in cold water and then also were placed in a cold room. Now that's not terribly cold, especially if you're someone that does a lot of cold thermogenesis practice where you're doing cold showers. However, if you put a cold sheet around you and then put yourself in a cold room that's 40 degrees, you're gonna get cold. It's just point blank period, that's how your body's going to respond. However, what, I mean, in, in this experiment, they said that most people would suffer from hypothermia. I don't know if I would suffer from hypothermia, but a lot of people would just because they're not used to cold exposure. But through this meditative yoga technique, they actually were able to not only dry the sheets that they were in, but actually create steam rising from the sheets. So think about that for a minute. You're in a cold, wet sheet like you would sleep with. And you also are in a room that it's 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm not sure, I don't know the conversion to Celsius. But you're in a room 40 degrees Fahrenheit with a wet cold sheet and you actually are able to use your mind to create steam through the sheet. And the, the monks say this is a product of meditation since it takes energy to reach an alternate state of reality and this is unaffected by our everyday world. Uh, but this again showed that they documented this through a study that they actually have it as evidence that these people were placed, these Tibetan monks were placed in a cold sheet in a room that's 40 degrees Fahrenheit and then created steam off of that sheet through the heat that they created through their body through meditation. So again, the power of the mind, how crazy is that, that you could actually do that? So whenever you're thinking about different goals you wanna achieve or anything like that, there are literally humans that you are related to that is a, that are the same species as me and you as humans that were able to do this. So I thought that was pretty powerful. Number two, I thought this was kind of crazy, but it's this idea of multiple personality disorders. So this is something that has been studied recently in the last you know, decades of people that are schizophrenic. And what they have noticed is that people that switch between their identities actually will have different physiological processes that take place when they are in a different identity, which is just crazy, but it also is an example of how the mind is actually controlling the processes that are going on in your body. For example, one identity might be diabetic and the other will have perfect health. So think about that for a second. A person, because their mind in this case is not functioning properly because they're schizophrenic, but the power of the mind to alternate back and forth between being diabetic where you actually show real tangible symptoms of diabetes and then switching back into not being diabetic where you have perfect health. Which I thought was insane and I know I've read about different stuff that monks have done, but I mean, this was crazy. I'd never thought about this. Um, also, in one case published by the American Psychiatric Press, a doctor noted how medications prescribed to disassociative identity disorder patients had different effects depending on what personality took the drug. So when a tranquilizer was given to a person's childish persona, which is something that knocks you out, it made them sleepy. However, when the adult personality came in, they were administered the tranquilizer and it made them anxious and jittery. 
So think about that. The same medication had two different effects depending on what state of mind the person was in, which is kind of just another thing about medication in general. It really is your mind has so much more power than we give credence to, and people will fight about different diets or medicines or supplements or whatever they take. But think about what is inside here, your head, and how that actually can be affecting and manifesting what you take. Um, doctors even noticed visibly apparent trends like lazy eye would come and go depending on which personality was present. And uh, it's a genuine example of the mind altering the body, which I thought was pretty cool. Number three is going to be the placebo effect. And obviously, I think this is something that everybody has heard of. I know I have. But it's just the idea that a non-active substance or belief can produce real biological effects in humans. And uh, this one, the study that I found here was actually it was kind of funny. So Princeton students, they decided to do a study where they had a party and they secretly filled a keg full of Odules, which is just non-alcoholic beer, which is nearly impossible to get drunk off of. And they filled a keg with it, had a party and examined. They had people kind of as different moles, I guess you could say, or plants that were studying the people and how they behaved. And lo and behold, the people that were drinking the non-alcoholic beer acted silly, slurred words, slept on the ground, and generally acted drunk much as you would at a college frat party. And this is something I think you look at, again, the power of the mind, the idea that simple things like this, we trick ourselves into believing. So our mind creates this whole reality around us about the story we tell ourselves, what we're capable of, what we're doing, all these different things. And our mind is so powerful that you can actually, when you believe something, so you think there's alcoholic beer in a keg, you're going to act accordingly, regardless of what physiologically is taking place. So your mind is tricking you into thinking these things are going on, which I thought was crazy. And also it has been shown that drugs that have been on the market for years, such as Prozac, which I would try to stay away from at all costs, are now proving less effective than placebo. So more recent study of some of these pharmaceutical drugs, especially ones that are supposed to be psycho-altering of your psychological processes going on, are proving to be less effective than placebos. So you gotta think, what's the point of even taking them? And I'm not doing this episode to go into a diatribe about big pharma, but just keep that thought in mind. The next one is going to be the nocebo effect. And I hadn't done as much reading just myself before this about this, but I thought this was pretty cool. So whereas the placebo effect is something that you come, you have an experience by taking something, the nocebo effect is going to be something that you negatively experience based on something that is going on around you. So just to get, it'd be better to use an example. Um, so a cancer patient getting sick before doing chemotherapy because of how scared they are, um, or someone breaking out in a rash because they thought they touched poison ivy, which could have been just an ordinary plant, and that has been documented before, where people actually will get a rash because they think they were touched with poison ivy when it wasn't even a plant at all. But there was one story of this that I thought was cool, and I heard this somewhere else, but came across in my research, so I thought it'd be cool to share, is an incident of a guy in Alabama, referred to as Vance, uh, went to a cemetery and met up with a witch doctor who told him he was going to die soon. And within the next few weeks, he became emaciated and very close to death. Went to the doctor and his wife told the doctor about the encounter with the witch doctor. And the 
Doctor told the guy that he had actually discovered a lizard in the man's stomach, which was completely false, but he wanted to see if this would actually work. That he told that the doctor had discovered that the witch doctor planted a lizard in the guy's stomach. And then what he did is he injected him with a false substance. I think it was just saline solution, salt water, and then uh, brought in a lizard that he said he pulled out of him. And then when the guy discovered that the lizard was gone, he had been injected with the medicine, uh, he got healthy in a matter of days, started eating again, and was all around better. So again, another powerful example of the nocebo effect of something negative happening that can actually alter your mind, how you see yourself. And think about the nocebo effect just in daily life, about little things that stress us out that end up causing us a lot of anxieties, frustration, worry, and all this stuff. It's literally all in your mind. It's literally all created in your mind about what you're telling yourself. Just as this guy with the lizard told himself that he was cursed by a witch doctor and he thought a lizard was in him and the lizard came out and then he was completely better. Think about that with different things that go on in your life and how powerful that could be with just different areas that you may be experiencing. Some sort of thing because we all have stuff that we're going through whether it's mental, emotional, uh, different things going on, especially right now with COVID and all that stuff in the economy. So just think about that and really understand the power of your mind in regards to the nocebo effect. Number six is dreams causing real injuries. And I thought this was cool. And this one isn't so much something that is documented scientifically. Um, but there was a man, and this was documented by a psychiatrist named Ian Stevenson, from, and the man was from India, and uh, during a battle with typhoid fever, he had a dream about being held captive in another realm, and he was tortured, basically, that he received these uh, beatings to his knees and everything, and was tortured in the dream, not during uh, real life, because he was experiencing typhoid fever, but obviously when you get fevers, you can tend to have delusions and things like that, and he experienced this torture, and then... He actually, when he woke up, came to recover from typhoid fever, he actually had scars on his knees that he claimed were from the dream that he had, even though he was in bed the whole time and was being monitored in bed by his family. And he had scars, and 30 years later, this doctor documented that he had the scars and uh, reported it in the journal. So whether or not he was documenting what actually happened the truth who knows but it was in a scientific journal and this doctor fully believed that he experienced something in his dreams which i think uh, can be true experiencing something in our dreams can actually manifest in our physical body again because the mind is so powerful if we can if monks can create steam from sheets i think something in our dreams especially knowing how vivid and real dreams can feel sometimes can actually manifest in pain through our body Number five, I thought this was pretty cool. So this is another example. These were Indian yogis. So also people that are very well versed in meditation. And after hearing stories of yogis, a French cardiologist named Therese Bross traveled to India and tried to see if they did have unique talents. But she noticed that yogis were actually able to slow their heart rate down where it was only measurable on an EKG machine. And actually there had been stories of them staying underground for 28 days and they measured them, they put them in boxes for 10 hours with very few, little oxygen. The monks or the yogis were able to control their breath in a way that they were confined in this box for 10 hours and suffered no ill harm. Which I think if any of us were confined in a box that was similar to a coffin or something like that, we would probably go crazy in 
less than five minutes, but they did it for 10 hours and also were able to control their breath and oxygen where they survived. So thought that was pretty cool. The next one is sports visualization. And this is something that I always tried to work on when I was a competitive athlete, but even now, just thinking about mind over matter as regards to athletic performance and competition, which is something obviously being a health person and health consultant that I'm really big on. But in there was a guy who was uh, Air Force Colonel George Hall was locked in a small dark North Vietnamese prison for seven years. So this guy was held hostage in prison for seven years. And uh, after he was rescued, um, he came back. And while he was in prison, he, in his mind, would play golf every single day. So he would literally, in his mind, go through the visualization of being on the course, going through different holes, going through all the things of golf that he would do, and working on a swing, doing his body motion and everything as if he was playing golf which he claims helped him get through being in the prison, which I think anybody would if you get confined somewhere like that for seven years. I can't imagine the sort of trauma that your mind would experience. And so he claimed that this helped him go through. What is crazy, though, is when he came back, the first thing he wanted to do was play golf, and he went to the New Orleans Open where he astoundingly shot a 76, which I'm not a huge golf fan, but I know that is an amazing score to have. And... Uh, he shot a 76, and then when he was asked about it, he said, I never three-putted a green in the last five years. Um, but the muscle memory that he developed in doing that for seven years helped him to go back, and it was like he never missed a beat. Even though he wasn't on the golf course, he didn't have golf clubs, he didn't have a golf swing, the muscle memory and visualization that he created in his head was just as effective as if he had been playing golf for seven years maybe even more effective because when he went back, he shot better than he ever had and hadn't seen a course in seven years, let alone played or anything like that. The next one is the ability to block out pain. And this was a really cool story. So Jack Schwartz, a Dutch Jewish writer, lived in horrific conditions during the Holocaust. And while he was in a concentration camp, he began the practice of meditation and prayer uh, to help block out the pain that he was experiencing, obviously physically, mental, emotional pain, I can't imagine having gone through something like that. Um, but what he would do after that is he became so adept and well-versed at meditation and prayer that he was able to control pain and d demonstrated his skills by putting a sailor's needle through his arm without injury and was actually able to regulate blood flow through his body. He could puncture a hole in his arm and cause it to bleed and then stop the bleeding at will. And this was actually measured scientifically. Um, and they actually did an EEG of his brain. And he had different electrical activity going on in his brain, which was kind of crazy. And I think, again, this ability to block out pain. If someone can take it to the extreme and actually stop themselves from bleeding when they cut themselves... Think of the mental pain and trauma that we're able to use our mind to control, which is something I think is going to be hugely important just in the next few years as we get into more of the information age and the struggles around us become more so economical and information related so rather than something that is so much more physical related because we've solved some of our problems of having to physically find food and do physical hard labor. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, the next one is just about positivity and meditation. And I thought this was pretty cool. There was a study of women with cancer at Stanford University and one control group they measured and they didn't do any sort of positivity training. But this other group was not the control group and they 
use different weekly support meetings to meet with other women that had cancer and talk about their condition, talk about things that were positive, and really focus on creating a positive environment just once a week to have people to network with. But as the other one, they just kind of let them do their own thing as a lot of people that are being treated cancer with cancer would do. However, at the end of the study, the women in the support group lived twice as long as those not in the group. So think about that. All these people had cancer, similar types of cancer. The ones that went to just the once weekly support group where they were around other women that were experiencing the same thing and went through mindset and positivity training lived twice as long. That's not one year longer, two year longer, twice as long as the people in the control group, which I thought that was amazing. Also, the guy that wrote the book, The King's Speech, which was made into a movie that I think won a bunch of awards, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer for years and only two weeks away from surgery. Um, he, before the surgery, decided if he could get rid of it with his imagination. So this guy had bladder cancer for years, but he really focused on having the healthiest, cleanest bladder every single day. He would just focus on it, work on it. And then right before the surgery, they did different labs and he no longer had cancer, which kind of befuddled the doctors because he had had it for so many years. So I think with a lot of the chronic disease that manifests in our society today, that's something that you look at, especially cancer, is almost this buildup of negativity, negative information within our body that manifests in the form of cancer cells that we can actually help control. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, but at some level, it's disease. It's disease that has built up within our body is manifesting physically. And we can use our mind to at least help prevent some of that by being positive, not being stressed out, not causing our body to be in a super sympathetic response all the time where we're in flight or flight mode. The last one, and I thought this was pretty cool to close it out with something related to health, is about a study with weight loss. And I thought this was pretty fascinating. So um, they did a study with maids that were working in a uh, hotel where they're very active throughout the day. So they're cleaning all day and a lot of them were overweight. And especially in regards to their physical activity levels, they should not have been overweight for how many calories they were burning because, again, these people are working hard manual labor, but they were still overweight. And what this uh, psychologist from Harvard did, Ellen Langer, conducted an experiment where she took a control group of the maids in the hotel and left them as they are. And then the other group, she informed them about how their job actually helps them burn calories and become healthier. So she had presented them with all this information that their job helps them become healthier and they should lose weight because they're losing so much more weight. And that's all they did. And then they noticed after a period of time that the group that was told their job was actually helping them lose weight had a decrease in systolic blood pressure, they lost weight and their waist to hip ratio was reduced. Simply because they were told that what they were doing was making them lose weight, not because they actually changed anything. So again, there was no behavior change or anything like that. But the group that was educated and informed that they had changed it, that their their work would actually change their weight, it actually did change their weight. So think about that in regards to your exercise. Do you have the mental fortitude in your and control of your mind to know that your exercise is changing you and then what that's going to do? So whatever it is, whatever your goal is, is trying to build muscle, lose fat, just become healthier, have more energy. Are you telling yourself what you're doing is going to help that? And then also the power of information. So once you hear things like this, you can't unhear them. Once they're documented, and this is not something that you really come across every day unless you're directly seeking it. So once you hear different things like this, 
it's hard to unsee it and you, then you know the power of the mind. So you know the information that you put into your brain is going to have an effect. And I think that's really powerful and something going forward I'm going to be working on in my life to make sure that I control the information that goes into my brain and that I'm using it in a positive way to help manifest and make known in my life what I want to create and you should as well. So again, those were 10 shocking examples of mind over matter. If you stay tuned for the whole thing, I really appreciate it. Hopefully that enlightens you a little bit. And as you go forward today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life, know that your mind is more powerful than you would ever, ever think it to be. And you can use that to control every area of your life and create what you want to. So again, thank you for tuning in. This has been episode 72 and I will see you next time. Peace.